Genesis 8 and verse 20 is kind of when Noah, the flood is done, the ark is, I mean, you know, he's coming off the ark, the ground is now dry, the face of the ground is dry, and he gets to get off the, the ark, and he's coming into this, this new life. He's coming into this new world, this salvation that he didn't earn, but he got by grace. I want you to know something. Cross Point Church is about grace. Cross Point Church is about the fact that human beings are made right with God because of what God provides, not what we perform or what we do religiously. We believe in a religionless spirituality that does not include rules or regulations, but the power of the Spirit and the power of a relationship with God. Noah was saved by grace. Noah was provided by God with an ark. Noah made it to the other side. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is stewardship. The stewardship of the life that we have in Christ. The stewardship of this grace and salvation that we've received. Now, the word stewardship, what it means is, is it means to be given something that doesn't belong to you, but you're to take care of. That's what stewardship is. So when something is given to you and it belongs to another person, they say, I want you to take care of this, you realize that whatever they gave to you doesn't belong to you, but they're calling you to take good care of it. Let me read to you a verse about what we've been given. Acts chapter 17. And listen to this. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. Paul is telling the Greek philosophers in Athens. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, that's the God of Genesis, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Amen. God doesn't need jack. Y'all realize that, right? As though he, do, he had, doesn't need anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Underline everything. Everything. Everything we have is on loan from God. Every piece of air that my lungs takes in belongs to God. Every moment I have is a moment that God has given to me on loan. Every person, you, have been given to me on loan from God in this moment. My wife does not belong to me. She belongs to God. My children do not belong to me. My beautiful girls do not belong to me or any other boy. <laughs> they belong to God. And salvation and forgiveness and freedom in Christ and, 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 and all of those ideas of, of redemption, that is not something I have earned or belongs to me. It has been given to me in Christ and is given to me on loan from God. 
God says, I'm giving you these things to be a steward of them. You're to practice stewardship with your whole life because your life does not belong to you. And if you're a Christian and you've received Christ and you've crossed that line of of faith and you said, Christ is my Lord and my Savior, the life you have in Christ, you were purchased with a price. You are not your own. You belong to God. And all that's left is how can I be a good steward of what God has given to me. That's where we come to Genesis 8. Because Noah and that ark and surviving the judgment of God, that's such a great picture of our life in Christ. It's a great outward manifestation, historical moment of an invisible reality that happens in our heart. When we believe in Jesus, we're stepping on the ark and we're surviving the waters of God's judgment. Even our baptism is a picture of surviving the judgment of God, coming out alive by grace, standing on dry ground. And the question is, what will Noah do with this new life? What will he do with his salvation? How will he practice stewardship? Look at verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains seed time and harvest. Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. We note, number one, that Noah is a good steward of his spiritual life. Are you a good steward of your spiritual life? God has given you a spiritual life. Are you a good steward of it? And we see how he's a good steward of a spiritual life in verse 20. Number one, he's a good steward of his spiritual life because he makes God a priority over every other issue in his life. There's no practical issue that comes before God. There's no home building or going and buying a boat first or I'm going to go, go for a walk or run. The first priority in his life is God. Is God your priority? You see what he does. He steps off the ark. Now, if I step off the ark, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I, I, in my spiritual life, I'm not where I should be. And, and first thing I might do when I step off the ark is like go to the beach for a vacation. Can I get an amen? I mean, after a storm, you just want to rest. Or build a new home. Amen. Maybe get a new toilet system. I don't know. That ark is probably nasty after all those days on there. I remember going to Africa, to Uganda, on a mission trip, man, and I loved it. It was so blessed there. I went with my brother, and we served, and we were missionaries for a couple of weeks, you know, like 15 days. And we went to these villages and all these things, and I was, talk about baby dedications. Parents would, like, come up and just dedicate my baby, and the baby, I was baby dedicating all these African babies, and it was wonderful. It was like, it was like the Lion King on steroids, where you're like, Simba! You know, it's just it's great stuff. But, you know, after a while in Africa and Uganda, you start kind of hungering for home, amen? 
And I remember we got on the airplane from Africa, and we landed in Amsterdam. And that's when you first get a taste of Western culture again, right? And you get off that airplane, and there's a mall in the airport. We, have like, we had like a seven-hour delay. And there's a mall, and there's Starbucks, and there's Chili's. And I stepped off the airplane, and I looked at my brother, and I was like, consumerism. I was like, now, Sean, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do, man. We're going to go to Chili's, and we're going to get us some of those chips with the queso. Can I get an amen? And I'm going to get me a Sam Adams, and I'm going to drink it whole. No, I'm sorry. Uh, write me an email. Anyways, and, and, then, and then I'm going to go to Starbucks, and I'm going to get me a mocha venti. You know what I mean? And I'm going to drink it whole. And my brother looked at me and said, dude, you've got issues, man. You've got issues. What would we Americans do first when we get off this ark after a flood? We go, man, I got to get some rest. I got to go get a new couch. I got to fix my house. You know what I mean? What does Noah do? He says, number one priority, I'm going to build an altar to the Lord. And I'm not going to build an altar to the Lord to get saved. I'm going to build an altar to the Lord because I'm already saved. I'm not going to build an altar because I'm trying to make myself right with God. I'm not trying to do some kind of religiosity performance thing for God. I'm just grateful for God. I love God. Noah realizes that the best thing he has in his life is not even visible, is invisible. The best thing he has in his life is not some person he can physically hug or some home he can physically enjoy. The best thing he has is God. And did you know that the best thing you could ever have in your life is God? If you have God and nothing else, you are rich. And you've got to build that altar to the invisible, eternal, sovereign, gracious, holy, wonderful God. I've been saved by grace. I've been saved through wood and nails. I've been saved because God has been good to me. And I'm coming out and being a good steward of your spiritual life is saying the first thing is an altar. And if I can't afford anything else but this altar, then this altar will be all I have. It's not that a house is unimportant. It's not that a new boat is unbiblical. But if all those things come before your worship of God, if there's other things coming in your life before God, it's not that you don't have a spiritual life. You're just not being a good steward right now of it. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will give you all the things that you need. Noah built an altar. That's the first thing he did. If you're going to be a good steward of your spiritual life in Christ, then you've got to make God your priority. And, you know, I, I'm so burdened because I know I live in this culture. My girls live in this culture, and we're so whacked out. Can I get an amen? We're so jacked up. Nobody, everything is more heavy to us Americans than God. Politics is heavier than God uh, to our hearts. Uh, 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 Our children, we're so child-centered, so they're more weighty to us than God. Uh, 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 Money and things is more weighty than God. And when you walk around and and you breathe in this air, it just says God is not important. And let me tell you something, it's a lie. God is the most important thing. So build your altar not to anything else but to him. Build your life on nothing else but Christ. Be a good steward of the spiritual life that God has given to you. 
How else can I be a good steward of my spiritual life? Not only making God the priority, but understanding and confessing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remembering, understanding, confessing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. And here we get a great picture of the gospel, the good news. It says, when the Lord smelled, love that, that's so I can understand what's happening. It's not that God literally lied, it was like, it's just it gives us a sense of what's happening in, in the spirit of God. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart. Now, what's the pleasing aroma? The pleasing aroma is that the clean animals, the innocent animals who don't deserve to die are being sacrificed at this altar. And the, and, and that, and the smell of that sacrifice of these innocent animals who, who, who didn't deserve to be sacrificed are being sacrificed as burnt offerings. And God smells these sacrifices and it's a pleasing aroma to him. And he says in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Now this is interesting, isn't it? This is a very strange verse. God is making a promise. And what's his promise? I'm never going to do the worldwide flood again. I'm never going to destroy all of the living things. But what is the grounds of God doing that? We know it's not because the flood has solved the human sin problem because God says that human beings will continue to be sinful from their youth or from their birth. We are born with a sinful nature, amen? The worldwide flood did not change human nature. The worldwide flood judged human nature but it was not medicinal. It didn't fix it. So the question is, well, if we're still the same human race that we were before the flood, then why doesn't God continue to send more floods and continue to drown out all of humanity and continue to give us arcs for Noah? It says here that the reason why God chooses not to judge the world again is because of the sacrifice for atonement of sin because of the burnt offerings that Noah offers. Do you see that? In other words, God's not saying, well, Noah, you're so great now. You're such, you're such a great guy that because of you, I'm not going to judge the world again. Nor does God say it's because of religiosity that I'm not going to judge the world again. In fact, God says it's the aroma and the, and the propitious quality of the sacrifices of the innocent animals that I'm not going to judge again. This is a fantastic picture of Jesus before Jesus. Can I get an amen? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And to be a good steward of your spiritual life is to remember that what makes you right and pleasing to God is not your performance, but the work of Jesus as our sacrifice in our place. It's the blood of Jesus that saves you, is the way we said it in church growing up. We were always praying in the blood of Jesus. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Do you have, how many of y'all came from a church that was always praying about the blood? You know, and as a kid, you were like, why are we always talking about blood? 
why is the preacher always saying, in the blood of Jesus, in the blood of Jesus, in the blood, I welcome you in the blood of Jesus. Like, you got welcomed in the blood of Jesus. You know what I mean? You're wiping the blood of Jesus. You were lifting, we lift high the blood of Jesus, you know. And then there were songs, nothing but the blood. That's one of my favorite hymns. How about you? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Dude, that's some good theology, though. Because what we're saying as Christians is we're saying it's the, it's the innocence... It's the innocent Jesus who takes the penalty of our sin, and God sees the blood of Jesus, and that's what makes us right, and therefore we can come to church grateful, not stressed out. We can come to church saying there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can come to church still kind of messed up and imperfect and decayed and trying to grow, and we're not, we don't have our whole life together. We, we're not like walking, and religious people don't look at us and say, man, I wish I was them. In fact, they're glad they're not us, amen? But we're coming to church because we're forgiven. And that forgiveness provides a a ground of confidence where I can grow. You want to be a good steward of your spiritual life, you have to remember it's the gospel that saves you, not your religion, not your performance, not serving on the lawn team, but we need mowers. Can I get an amen? Not serving in the children's ministry, but we need people serving the children's ministry. Amen? I'm not any more right with Jesus because I preach the Bible every week. I'm right with Jesus because he died in my place. The only reason I preach is out of gratitude, gratefulness. And I want you to be grateful for what he's given you. And gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude. You want to fly high in your spiritual life? You want to grow as a follower of Jesus? Stop trying so hard and receive gratefulness from Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will use that like like fuel and will ignite your passion for God again. But you will get spiritually burned out and you're going to get ticked off at other Christians when you start making it about religion because you'll say, you know, they aren't performing right and I'm not performing right and I'm so stressed out. And that's why people get burned out on church. That's why people get spiritually burned out is because they forget the gospel. You are right because of what Jesus does in your place. It's the aroma of the sacrifice that is pleasing to God. Take your Bibles. Let's look at this in the New Testament. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. And maybe some of you aren't believers, and you're like, what is it that Christians believe? What's the good news? The good news is that anybody can get saved because Jesus died for sins. If it was about our own performance, then only a select few could get saved. But even they can't get saved because our righteous works are as filthy rags before God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the New Testament. If you're not there, just listen. And listen to what Paul tells this church in Corinth. In Corinth, the city of Corinth, where these Christians were living, was so horrible. I mean, this culture was so jacked up. It makes America look like a G-rated movie, Corinth. Man, you talk about, you talk about se- sexuality gone wrong. You talk about there's temple prostitutes and prostitution where you could go to a temple and, and, and have sex with a prostitute for free and call it religion. People were sleeping with everybody. And, and Paul is trying to tell these Christians living in this culture what makes a difference. 
And he gives them the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. He says, now I would, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul is literally like, I'm t- he's t- like, church, I'm trying to remind you over and over and over again. And you need to remind yourself over and over again that what makes you right is that Jesus died in your place for your sins. And that gives you confidence. It gives you a new beginning every day. It gives you a new start. But I'm not done. Go over to Romans Take a left-hand turn in your Bibles, one book, and go over to Romans chapter 3. Let me give you the gospel. You want to be a good steward of your spiritual life. You have to remember, confess, believe the gospel, the good news. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Listen to this. I really think that Christians start getting stressed out and burned out because they forget the gospel. And they're so insecure, they're trying to look the part and look good and, and oh, I, I got to look good and people got to think I'm godly and it's about how big my faith is. It's not about how big your faith is, it's about how big your God is. It's about how, big, how good the gospel really is. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because it is in divine forbearance He has passed over former sins. Now in verse 25, when it says propitiation, what a fantastic word. How many of y'all like that word propitiation? It took me a year in ministry to learn how to say that really fast in a sermon. Propitiation, propitiation. I would practice it at night before I preach. I'd be like, propitiation, propitiation, propitiation. Say it fast. You can't do it because you're not a preacher. I am, so see? <laughs> you can't do that. You can't learn that, see? Don't try what I'm trying up here. This is very professional work I'm doing. You say, well, if it's such a great word, yeah, propitiation, what's it mean? It means to appease or to satisfy. It means that the death of Jesus Christ is propitious, is satisfying, is pleasing to God, and it pleases his righteous demands for sin. Sin requires death and punishment and hell and condemnation. But Jesus in our place is pleasing, satisfies that demand. In fact, it recalls, the word propitiation recalls God in uh, Genesis 8 when the aroma of the sacrifice comes up to God and it says that the aroma was pleasing to God. You see, Jesus and his death is pleasing to his righteous demands. And therefore in Christ and hidden in Christ, we are made right with God. This is the foundation of our gratitude and our worship. 
And it is something we must always remember to be good steward of our spiritual life. Be a good steward of your spiritual life by making God the priority, by remembering, confessing, believing the gospel, knowing what the gospel is. And finally, be a good steward of your spiritual life by giving financially to the gospel. Want to be a good steward of what God has given you spiritually? You've got to give to the gospel. Go back to Genesis 8. Let me show you this in the text. Verse 20. Noah built an altar. Noah Noah built a church to come and express this gratitude. He built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, look up here. Think about this for a second. What got wiped out in the flood? Everything. In fact, it says that all living things got wiped out in the flood. Think about that. The only living animals that, that survive are on the ark with Noah. Noah's only income is what's on that boat. Noah's only way of eating is what's coming off that boat. Think about that. It's not like Noah was dealing like with dollar bills and change. He was dealing with cattle. And what the text is saying is provocative because it means that what Noah does is he gets off the boat as opposed to say, you know, I need to store up some food for a little bit so that eventually there can be game to hunt. He takes not only his animals, he takes the best animals, the cleanest animals, and he sacrifices them on the altar out of a confession of his belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? You know what I would do? I'd be like, now God, as soon as I get everything all lined up, then I'll give you my very best. How about you? I'm a little bit worried about how we're going to be provided for, Lord. So before I give off the top, I need to kind of set things up and let these animals, you know, kind of multiply a little bit so that there's something to hunt so I can make a living. So, God, if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of put off the giving thing because I got my own work to do. No, Noah, by faith, I mean really by faith, he says, you know what, God? I'm coming to this altar. I believe in your gospel, and I am going to financially sacrifice to this invisible reality of your grace. I mean, think about that. It's not like he's giving to tornado victims and he's going to see houses built. He's giving at this altar out of a belief that God invisibly is saving people spiritually. He's giving money to something that you can't even see the results of except for in changed lives. You know his sons. You know Noah's sons were like, Dad, you are nuts, dude. What are you doing killing those animals? I'm stinking hungry. I need a burger. I need a steak. Noah says, you know what? The most important thing I have is invisible. And the most important thing that the world is given is invisible, a relationship with God. And the Bible, in Genesis, this is a theme. 
The theme is financially giving out of a confession to the gospel. And I want to show it to you. In fact, I want to show it to you a couple places in Genesis. Take your Bibles. I still have so much time left in this service. It's amazing. Go to Genesis chapter 14. Abraham does this. In fact, in in Genesis 14, Abraham's just survived a storm. The storm is a war. He's outnumbered. He's outgunned. There's more soldiers than his soldiers. He survives. He saves Lot's life. He comes out of the storm, and a king comes out to meet him. And a lot of people think that this king is like a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Hebrews definitely calls this king a type of Christ. So it's like Jesus comes out to Abraham after the war and offers him bread and wine. Get it? Bread and wine? Sounds a little like communion to me. Sounds like the passion and the blood to me. Gives him bread and wine, and he blesses Abraham. And look at verse 19, Genesis 14, verse 19. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So what does stewardship of our spiritual life look like financially? It looks like a tenth of everything. That's what a tithe is, 10%. Now go to Genesis chapter 28. We'll see Jacob do the same thing. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when you go to Genesis chapter 28, In verse 20, of course, Jacob, you know, he's so tricky. And he was kind of a schemer and a con. But he feared God. And it says in Genesis 28, verse 20, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. God, if I survive this storm, and he's going through a storm. I love this. It's, it's the whole theme of storm, salvation, tithe. God, if I survive this storm, you get me through it. You give me salvation. I'll give you a tenth of everything I have. You save me. I will give to your message. I will give to your purpose. I will give to the proclamation of your message. For us as a church, the way this is applied is we call people to give a biblical portion. Now, if you're visiting today, if this is your first time at Crosspoint, you're like, this guy talks about money all the time, I bet. Look at that little man with jeans. You know, he's just wanting to be on TV. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. You know what? I don't, I don't talk about money probably enough in our culture. But in our church, when we call this our church home, we call our members, and those who call this their home to a biblical portion of giving off the top, not out of the middle, not out of the bottom, not if there's enough left over for you, Jesus, then I'll give it, but out of the top, right out of the ark, a biblical portion, and it's measured by 10%.
Now, that does not equate. Now, listen to what I'm trying to say. Practically, the way this works, it's not like, well, I'll buy, I'll buy hamburger buns for the next outing in the fellowship, and that'll be my tithe. No. What we say is that you give to something invisible first. And if there's more left over you want to give to benevolence fund or you want to give to food pantry after the 10%, amen, praise God, we need that too. You probably, we should all feel the burden of giving. But the first 10% comes to the altar, comes to the message, comes to the proclamation and the spreading of the gospel in the world. That's what Noah did. He built an altar. He sacrificed for the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we Americans, here's our problem. We Christian Americans, about 3% of us actually tithe. And the reason why is because we're so materialistic and we so have to see and feel what we give to. Well, I'll give if I can see what the results are. I'll give if it'll do what I want it to do. And we want to see a physical manifestation. We want tornado victims to be saved or their houses to be rebuilt. Or we want, we want something physical that we can look at and we can say, well, see, my money did something. That's great if you can do that, but what tithing is, is it's giving to something you can't see, which is the proclamation of the invisible gospel happening and regenerating unbelievers into believers and building a church and an altar that gives glory to God and says God is the ultimate satisfaction, God is the ultimate desire, and whoever finds God finds life, and that's all invisible. That's all invisible. You can't see that. That's not a church building or a tower or a steeple or something. I built that. It's not a wing in your name. It's I believe in this gospel so much that I believe that people can actually be born again, be new creations in Christ, and we need givers to do that. And we don't need a few rich people in our church to fund the whole ministry of the gospel. We need everybody. You make $10 a month, we need $1 for the gospel. Now, there will be sometimes. You'll be blessed, and we get grace sometimes, and God will help us to see some of the results of our giving. For example, look at this pew. Look at this pew. It's falling apart. And a day is coming when we're going to replace these pews with great chairs. Can I get an amen? And God's going to give you the grace to see something from your tithing. And you'll be like, thank you, God, that I got to see something from my giving. It's called new, fluffy, comfortable chairs. I'm coming to the admin board, and I'm saying to them, brothers, people have given. We have no debt in our church. Can I get an amen? We own six to eight acres of land. We own both these buildings. We have a surplus of funds because you have been faithful, and I thank you for that. And as you continue to give, you're going to get better chairs to sit your bottoms in when you listen to these sermons. And for those of you who sleep regularly, you're going to be more comfortable when you do it. Some of these pews, man, I mean, this is, you guys are, people are at risk. Look at this. I can't even nail it down anymore. This thing over here, this fell off last week. I walked down the middle aisle before second service. This was in the middle of the ground. This thing was right here. I think, Lint, wait, was that, no, it's your, Karen, be careful. We hadn't, Lynn had to nail this thing after the service because, like, this pew was falling apart. You're in danger right now. I need $1 out of every 10. I need 10 out of every 100. I need 100 out of every 1,000 and so forth. 
so we can build a church to reach more people, help people hear the gospel, that proclamation and the preaching of the gospel is the most important thing we do. It's more important than food pantry. It's more important than benevolence. It's more important than anything else, and we've got to be committed to that gospel message. And if you want to be a good steward of your spiritual life, you've got to give financially to the gospel. You're like, man, I'm barely given 1%. How do I work up to 10%? Well, take the grace of God, come up with a budget to where you can start doing it within a year and give more and more every month. Or if possible, just jump right in and say, off the top, 10% goes to the gospel. We need faithful givers. You know, sometimes, sometimes rich people in our church, they get mad at me because I say things, you know, and I, I say things like jacked up. Can I get an Amen. So I don't, need, I don't need to raise taxes on taxpayers in the church. I just need more taxpayers. Amen. All right. I don't know why I just said that. I'm in trouble now. I'm just getting in trouble. Visitors are never coming back. Members are leaving. All right. So ask yourself a question. Where's the altar of your spiritual life? What are you worshiping today? Where do you need to readjust your priorities to make sure God is number one? How do you need to guide your heart to know that you're made right with God because of what Jesus has done, not what you do? And how do you need to readjust your financial life so that you're giving regularly to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Your life is on loan. Everything you have, God has given to you. And to be a good steward is to take good care of what God has given to you. Walk in His grace and forgiveness but repent where the Holy Spirit is calling you to, and let's be faithful to the gospel of Jesus as a church. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you uh, just uh, for the opportunity and the privilege again. It's the greatest privilege in the world, to, even in my own imperfect ways, to try to glorify you and, and to get out of the way of your word. I just pray that it would not return to us void as a church, that your word would continue to bear fruit in our lives, in our worship, in our celebration. God, we have been given new life in Christ, and that's something that's been given to us by grace. Help us to walk in it. All of us, none of us are what we should be. We're, we all, in this very moment, have something to say, you know what? I've got to change here. But we can't change without your help, so give us your power Give us your strength. Give us a sense of your love and security. Give us the room and the space and grace to kind of stand there and to begin to stand up in those areas you want us to stand up in. God, you are good. You are real. You are powerful. And even though we can't see you, we love you. And even though we can't see you, we rejoice in you with joy inexpressible. Fill our hearts with your love. And guide us to your green pastures for our life. Amen.